We've all asked many how long questions in our lives, haven't we? So when you were a kid, I'm sure you asked your parents, how long until they get there? Or how long is it till Christmas? Or maybe a few weeks ago, you're asking, how long is it till my next holiday? Uh, I'm an Arsenal fan. I've been asking for the last 18 years, how long until we win the league? Answer might be never. Um, two years ago, we were asking, how long until the pandemic's over? How long till life's back to normal? And sometimes in life, we'll ask, how long will this period of suffering that I'm going through going to last for? How long am I going to have to keep dealing with this unbearable pain? How long? Today, we're looking at a psalm of lament, uh, where the psalmist David pours out his heart to God from the depths of his suffering. Now, to be honest, when I started looking at the psalm a few weeks ago, uh, I was going through a really rough week myself. Uh, my mood was just on the floor. I wasn't really myself. And this psalm really helped me. It was balm to my weary soul. And I hope we'll see today that the Bible is not a place for false hope or feel-good faith, but actually a place to go with our very real issues. And that issue today is suffering. And it's something that's common to us all. Whether you've been a Christian for years or a matter of months, or whether you're not a follower of Jesus, suffering is something uh, we will all experience in this life. And Psalm 13, our psalm today, is written from the very depths of despair. And this is a psalm we can all pray, no matter our experience of suffering. Now, to help us understand a bit of how David was feeling, what that despair can feel like, I asked one of my friends who suffers with depression to describe to me what she feels like on her worst days. This is what she says. It feels like you're in a really dark pit somewhere and that there's a really heavy rock crushing you. Not quite killing you, but crushing you enough that you know that you're not safe and that it'll end really badly. And it feels like life will always be that way and that it will never feel any different. What hope do we have when we're being crushed? What hope do you have when life is unimaginably hard? And I pray that we can see as we look at this psalm that it can give us hope even on the darkest of nights. Let me read Psalm 13 for us now. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David starts off this psalm with a plea. He's pleading to God in those first two verses. And you can really feel and sense the depth of David's pain there, can't you? He asks those four how long questions. How long, Lord? How long? How long? How long? You can really sense that all-consuming nature of the suffering that he's going through. And he really pleads with the Lord David, and he absolutely doesn't hold back. Verse 1, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long 
will you hide your face from me? He feels forgotten by the Lord. He feels neglected. And it's a never-ending feeling that that suffering, that neglection, he feels like it will never end. And it's not that David thinks the Lord's forgotten who he is, but he thinks that the Lord's kind of forgotten him more in terms of withholding help and comfort from him. And it's hard for David to envisage the Lord ever lovingly remembering him again. David doesn't think that the Lord's favor is resting upon him. He doesn't feel that the Lord's face is shining on him and giving him peace, like we see in the blessing from number six. If the Lord is not looking on David, if his face is hidden from him, what hope can David have? What could be worse for him than the Lord hiding his face from him? We see more of the kind of crushing weight of suffering that David is experiencing in verse two. He's wrestling with his thoughts. He has sorrow in his heart day after day. And again, we get that sense that the suffering is never going to end. There's no sense of peace in his mind. He's been wrestling with his thoughts for a long time. And David is fearing that he may never have a sense of peace again. There's no joy in his heart. Can you feel that sense of heaviness that he has? That heavy sadness in his heart? Will the clouds ever lift? Will the sun break through? And to be honest with you, I can find Lament Psalms almost disturbing and uncomfortable sometimes. Like, I'm thinking, how could David think the Lord would forget him? Is it right for him to speak to the Lord like that? And I think part of the reason that sometimes I'm so perturbed by Lament Psalms is because I've not been taught or learned myself well how to lament well, to express my pain in hard times. So what can we learn from the way that David talks to the Lord in these verses? It might just be my background, but whenever I go through suffering myself, I kind of put this pressure on myself um, to prove to fellow Christians around me uh, that my theology is still correct. Um, so if I was going through a rough time, I'd probably say something like this. Oh yeah, it's been tough, but God is sovereign. He has a plan for me, so it'll be grand. Now, there's nothing theologically incorrect about what I've said there. Like surely if we know God is in control, and then no matter what happens, we can be okay because he knows best. The issue with my response here, though, is that I'm not being very human. I'm being quite robotic. Um, and we're not robots, we're human. And I think that's actually why for so many of us, it can be hard to engage with politics and politicians. Um, they're often not authentic, and they're often just saying they're pre-scripted lines. So because I'm such a fun 24-year-old guy, I watched both conservative leadership debates last weekend. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, and it was quite annoying because they kept employing this tactic that every politician uses in every debate. Um, it's called the ABC tactic. Uh, and once I've told you about it, you won't be able to unsee it. It's really infuriating. So A means acknowledge. So you make some attempt to answer the question you've been asked. And then we get on to B, the bridge. So you have a bridging sentence to get you away from answering the question you've just been asked, which then brings you on to C, control. You then move on to answer the question you wished you'd been asked in the first place. Um, this tactic's a really handy trick. It means politicians can always talk about the thing they want to talk about instead of actually addressing the issue at hand. Um, so it's quite sad. I can actually remember an example of this in the 2015 election. That's um, <laughs> pretty bad. Um, so a question could be about the NHS. And they might say, what are you going to do about the NHS? And they'll be like, 
We need to increase NHS funding. But to do that, we need a strong economy. And that's why you should vote for me with my record of economic growth and my plan to cut the deficit. The issue with that, you're not getting an answer to the question about the NHS. They've said a sentence and just moved on. And then we all switch off, don't we, at that point? You're like, oh, you're just saying what you wanted to say all along. And it's a bit different, but I think we can be in danger of doing that when we're going through hard times ourselves, of just avoiding the issue and changing the topic. We can be tempted to really quickly move on from our pain to our correct theology. But that's not very real, is it? And don't get me wrong, the correct theology we have is wonderful. Like, oh my days, the truth we have to hold are glorious. We've been saved from sin, we're adopted in God's family, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, we've got the new creation to look forward to, worshipping God in perfect peace forever. Like, wow, the truths we have are glorious and so important. But that doesn't mean we can just ignore our pain or our turmoil. We're human, we feel we're deeply emotive, and God knows that, and he knows us. Maybe your response uh, to suffering is to shut off your feelings and not engage with your pain at all. And that can be such a natural instinct. But again, we need to be wary of that. As hard as it can be, we need to be pouring out our heart to God in those times. And some people's biggest critique of the UK church is that we're not authentic. And if we want to be authentic, we need to be authentic in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to be real with him about how we're feeling. And we need to be real with each other too. And of course, in the hard times, we need to trust God. And I'll get more onto that later. But our Abba Father wants us to pour out our emotions, our pains to him. He wants to hear his children cry out to him. So don't hold back in those tough times. Pour out your heart to God. Ask those how long questions. Ask those why questions. And I'm so thankful we can reach out to God in our pain. I came across this quote um, from the author, Rochelle Goodrich. Um, she's not a Christian herself. And what she said broke my heart. She says, there are far too many silent sufferers not because they don't yearn to reach out, but because they've tried and found no one cares. Cry out to God. He cares. He cares for you more than you'll ever know. Lamenting is so important. In the words of Mark Vrohop, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Read that again quickly. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So let's pray in the midst of our pain. Let's, like David, pour out our hearts in the midst of suffering. David moves from plea to petition in verses 3 to 4. Here we see him ask God for help. Now let me ask, what is our petition to God when we're suffering? What do you ask him to do? And I think these next two verses will really help show us how we can pray during those hard times. Let's look again at David's petition in verse 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. What does David want God to do? He asks God to look on him and to give him a new perspective. 
He doesn't even pray for deliverance from the situation that he's in. See, David knows it's really hard to see clearly when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why he asks God to give him light to his eyes. He asks God to help him to reorient his perspective. And that's a big part of our Christian walk, and it's a really hard part, is having the right perspective. For example, if we have an eternal perspective, if we're keeping eternity in mind, it helps remind us of the temporary nature of this life. It helps us, by the Spirit's strength, to live more selfless and radicalized for God. So David is so right to ask God to help reorient his perspective. But please don't mishear me. When we're suffering, we can absolutely pray for deliverance from our immediate circumstances, and we should. We can pray for healing, and we should. And let's pray to our God, who is our deliverer. But at the same time, let's follow David's example here and pray that God will give light to our eyes in the midst of those dark days. We often want God to fix our problems, but our pressing need is for him to restore our perspective. And that's David's petition here. And it's hard, but we also can't afford to look elsewhere as our main comfort, our main source of comfort during suffering. God has given us many great gifts, such as family, friends, music, food, the outdoors. And yes, during tough seasons, we should absolutely enjoy those gifts. But we cannot look to them as our source of joy and hope, as easy as that is to do. When I had COVID a couple of years ago, uh, I lost my sense of taste and smell. And it honestly made me realize how much I relied on food for comfort during suffering. We need to look to God. He is the one who can give light to our eyes. In verse 4, David gives a further reason for God to grant his petition. David says that his enemies will claim victory and rejoice if God doesn't look on him and answer him. Now, as we know, David was God's king, and the kingdom of Israel represented the kingdom of God. They were to be a light to the nations. And throughout his time as king, David was beset by several enemies. And each of those enemies represented people that didn't just want power, but people who wanted to reject God as king and corrupt the kingdom of God. And today we also live in a culture where everyone wants to be king. And what they and we don't realize is that it's Satan who is often behind those desires. And that's because we're engaged in a very real spiritual battle. And perhaps one of the enemy's greatest tactics today is to make us think that we don't have enemies. God will not let Satan triumph. So let's pray that God will reorient our perspective so that every day, by the Spirit's strength, we can engage in spiritual battle against the enemy. Because God will not let the enemy triumph over us, even in our darkest days of suffering. David's petition in these two verses is a great reminder that even in the depths of despair, what we need most is for God to give light to our eyes. And wonderfully, God answers David's prayer in verses 5 to 6. God reorients his perspective. He gives light to his eyes, and we see David praise the Lord here. In verse 2, David's heart was sorrowful. But now in verse 5, he says... My heart rejoices in your salvation. What a transformation. But David hasn't been delivered from his immediate circumstances. Materially, nothing has changed. So why does he rejoice? 
Well, we see it in the first line of verse 5. It's because he can trust in God's unfailing love. David can see now that God's love for him is unfailing. He can praise God now because he has remembered who God is and he's remembered God's love for him. We see David rejoice because he knows he can trust God's character and he knows that God will never let him down. And David continues to pour out praise in verse 6. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David remembers all the good things God has done for him, that God had done for Israel, and it causes him to sing. So when we're suffering, let's remember all the good God has done in our lives. I so quickly, I so often forget all the good God has done in my life. Let's remember how good he's been to us. Let's remember how good he's been to his people in the Bible. Gaze through the tears at his goodness. And even when it's so hard, when it's so hard at church, sing praise to God, for he has been good to us. We see in these verses, David takes joy in God's character and in his blessings. So what is our hope in the depths of despair? What do you cling to? When we're in the depths of despair, we can take comfort from who God is. Because he is the God who meets us more than we can ever imagine in that place. We can have hope knowing that he loves us. That everything he does is for our good and for his glory. And even if God feels far away, if you feel far away from him right now, remember, he is right here with you. Even if it doesn't feel like it, he is right there with you, even in your deepest of pain. I very much agree with the theologian Tim Keller, who currently has pancreatic cancer, when he says, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. I can't imagine going through all the pain that we'll experience in this broken world without knowing God. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, then I plead with you to think about following him. Because I want you to have this hope in hard times. I can't bear the thought of anyone going through hard times without Jesus. And I want everyone to have that hope and suffering that we Christians can have. So pray to God. Ask him to meet you and your suffering. And Christians, let's remember, even when it can be incredibly painful at the time, that God does use our suffering. He doesn't make mistakes. I was reading a book of a church family in America uh, and their experience of suffering. One young man lost his wife tragically uh, to a sudden seizure. And it took that experience for him to realize that before his wife's death, that he'd been living for himself. Let me quote him briefly. I wanted what I desired more than I desired God. Sometimes suffering can wake us up. Sometimes it wakes us up from our lukewarmness, from our cold hearts, from our pride. 
No wonder C.S. Lewis calls suffering God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes suffering is a blessing from God, even if it doesn't feel like that, because it wakes us up to how much we need him. To quote that man who tragically lost his wife again, through suffering, God calls us out of our own little lives and their dreams and hopes and concerns to transcend earthly things and know him. Suffering, as awful as it is, can lead us deeper with God. It's hard, it's confusing, I know. But there is, there is purpose in our pain. Someone else in that book I read said this. I wondered how belief in God's goodness and all this agony could coexist in my one small heart. It can really be so confusing and tough to reconcile the agony with God's goodness. But God is always good. Even in the agony, he is working for our good. Even when it makes no sense, when life makes no sense, we need to trust him. To be quite vulnerable with you, one thing I find quite hard myself is singleness. I know I'm only 24 and I probably struggle with it more than I, more than I should. But I'm sure there's some of you here that do too. Or maybe your sexual orientation means you know that you might never marry. And it can be really hard. If we're single, we may often ask, how long till I meet someone? And that answer might be never. God, and God promises us many great things, um, but marriage isn't one of them. And sometimes I find that really hard. But no matter how hard we find something like singleness or whatever you struggle with, let's pray that God will give light to our eyes and help us to see no matter the circumstances that we can trust in his unfailing love and sing of his goodness, even through the tears. There's nothing greater than knowing God more. Even if that drawing closer only comes through a season of sorrow. As the 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon once said, I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. God reoriented David's perspective. He answered his prayers. And even though his circumstances didn't change at that moment, David could still praise God because he knew that he could trust God's unfailing love. And let's not forget, Jesus walks with us in our pain. He is with us right the way through this whole psalm. So in verses 1 and 2, we see David asking, How long, Lord? On the cross, Jesus didn't ask how long, but he asked, Why, Lord? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus is with us in our pain. He knows what it's like to cry out to the Father in anguish. So let's cry out to our Lord. Let's cry out to Jesus. At the start, I quoted my friend earlier and how she feels on her worst days of depression. Let me quote her again now on how Jesus gives her comfort on those hard days. She says, As a Christian, it doesn't feel like the weight is being lifted at all. But you know that Jesus is there beside you, with you, being crushed with you. That even if it doesn't change, 
He's with you the whole time. Which is better than the promise of it being lifted and him abandoning you. Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that we never have to be abandoned. (coughs) Even if it doesn't feel like it, Jesus is here. He is there. He is right there with us. He is not distant. He deeply knows our pain. He has experienced it. And in fact, he's experienced far worse pain than we ever will because of his love for us. We see Jesus in verse 3 of the psalm. He's the one who gives light to our eyes. He is the one that saved us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. And we can pray to him continually to give light to our eyes. And it's Jesus who defeats the enemies that we saw in verse 4. He's the one who gives us the strength to fight them. And he is the one that one day will defeat them once and for all, bringing everlasting peace. And it's because of Jesus that we can trust in God's unfailing love. We know God loves us because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to lift us out of the depths of our sin and brokenness, to raise us to new life in him, united to him. His death means we're adopted in God's family. He's the only one who never deserved to suffer, yet he suffered for us. His excruciating suffering means that one day we can live with him forever in a place where there is no more pain, no more tears. In the toughest of times, we can cling to Christ. We can trust Jesus. In the words of Dana Ortland, the evidence of Christ's mercy towards you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy towards you is his. Mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned, eternally in your place. If God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. Christ knows the depths of your despair. He has paid our passage through the valley. So on those dark days, on those days where the rock is crushing you, on those days where the clouds don't lift, cry out to God. Pour out your heart to him. Ask him to give light to your eyes. And through the tears, trust in his unfailing love. Through the pain, sing praises to his name. From the depths of our despair, let's cry out to Jesus, the one who we can trust. Let me pray.